Oh my God, have you ever a three-wide finish coming to the line, a photo finish at Atlanta? I mean, guys, we got to talk about this. Last week was the Funky 500. This week was the Wild and Better 400. I can't come up with a fun little rhyme there, but hello, my name is Taylor Kitchen, and welcome to Above the Yellow Line, where we do better sports media your way, talking about NASCAR literally all the time. This race literally had everything. It was just, it was just chaos, but we have to talk about this photo finish at the end between Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney, and Kyle Busch coming to the line. An incredible, just an incredible end to a spectacular race. The finish of this race was so close. NASCAR had to review the finish of this race and coming ahead three one thousandths of a second over Ryan Blaney was Daniel Suarez. He was your winner of the Am Better 400 at Atlanta. The thing I want to emphasize about the end of this race is that it was clean. We ended under the green flag. I know we had a late race caution that sent us into a restart with five to go that kind of set the stage for this finish. But still, it was very easy for one of these drivers to say, hey, you know what? This finish is getting too close to call. I'm going to wreck somebody out to make sure it's for sure me. But that did not happen. So props to these drivers. Again, I, I don't expect any of the drivers at this level to really do that unless it's the Daytona 500, maybe the championship. But still, uh, it, was very, it was a very welcome finish to the race. I should mention this before we dive into the Cup Series race, but for Xfinity and Truck, they told totally different tales than what we saw for the Cup Series because those races were actually pretty tame considering what we got for Sunday's Cup race. Congratulations to Austin Hill in the Xfinity Series. I don't understand how they keep letting him win these super speedway races. He is just so good. And then, of course, to Kyle Busch in the Spire number 7 truck for winning the Truck Series race. Came very close, again, uh, in the Cup Series. Just wasn't able to get there at the end of the day. He was, what, like, seven one-thousandths of a second behind Daniel Suarez, which is nothing to, like, laugh about. Like, that that's insane. So had a legitimate shot to win this race, just wasn't able to get that close. And this was another race where Kyle Busch really went through it. He had a few penalties in play. It just was a tough race for Kyle. But at the end of the day, again, he made his way to the front. A lot of three-wide restarts and three-wide moves that really helped him get to the top five positions. So... Overall, not a bad day for Kyle Busch, not a bad day for Ryan Blaney either. It's just another weekend where Penske brought the best three cars to the track. And then, of course, because of how Super Speedway Racing works, penalties, all those things involved, they just were not able to get the win. But let's talk about Daniel Suarez here because he is the star of the show tonight. If you watched this race, you might have thought that Daniel Suarez kind of came out of nowhere, which in my opinion isn't necessarily the case. He didn't qualify the best for this race. He didn't get any stage points in stage one. However, in stage two, he finished fourth. And towards the middle of the race to the end, he was in contention for a top 15, top 10, top five spot, depending on where he found himself after pit cycles and things like that. And this win is so important for Daniel Suarez because I don't think it's that big of a secret that he's in the hot seat this year. I wouldn't expect him to lose his ride at Trackhouse, but you also have to kind of consider, you know, Zane Smith is now in the picture. They don't have a for sure ride for him at Trackhouse. He's kind of being lended in a way to Spire right now. And then you have SVG, who's kind of signed up to a development program, but his future at Trackhouse is isn't that certain right now. He's with Colleg in the Xfinity Series. By the way, a great top five finish for him. Finished third this past weekend. And if you consider the performance that Ross Chastain had last year, um, I know that it wasn't Trackhouse's best season if you consider what they did in 2022. But Chastain came away last year with two wins, several top tens. And Daniel Suarez wasn't really able to match that caliber of performance that his teammate had. So he came into this year needing to match that caliber. And he's starting off on a very good note. Trackhouse getting top tens 
across the board this race. So props to that whole entire organization. And of course, with this win, that means Daniel Suarez has a playoff spot. Here's the thing, though. Like I said, with the performance, it was not there for Suarez last year. Now he has a win, and I think he was able to win in a pretty good fashion. I don't think it was a surprise win by any means, considering how he raced the second half of this race. But I need that 99 team to keep that momentum going. I need them to show that they truly do deserve that playoff spot, because I think that they do. But I don't want them to get to the playoffs and then not to really be contenders at all. I think we were really in for a treat last year when every single playoff contender really could go for the championship. I would love to have the same thing happen this year. We've talked about the top three contenders. Let's go to fourth place of Austin Cindric. He probably has the move of the race, in my opinion, taking it four wide to get the lead. He led 32 laps of this race, and he is also another driver that is quite honestly fighting for his seat this year. The past two seasons for Cindric have not been great performance-wise. Of course, you you, you go out swinging with a Daytona 500 win right in your rookie season, and then you just kind of have a lull the la next two years. And this year, he has to make something happen. And so far, so good. He has a top five. And last year, he only had one top five. So he has a chance to add to this. So Austin Cindric and that two team are looking very strong. Moving on to another driver that's been looking strong so far this entire season, Bubba Wallace. He's the only driver in the field to have two top 10 finishes to start the season, which is very positive for that 23 team. No surprise that Sten House finds himself inside the top 10. Great at these super speedway style type of races. Seventh, Ross Chastain. Again, talking about that track house top 10. Eighth, Michael McDowell. He qualified on the pole for this race, his first career pole in the Cup Series. No surprise, really, that McDowell and Front Row Motorsports had an overall successful day. Front Row Motorsports, for the first time in their history, multiple entries of theirs led double-digit laps in one race. That is a Srigley stat for you all to start the week. Ninth, we had Chris Buescher and 10th, Ty Gibbs. Now, I didn't mention Todd Gilliland in that top 10, and he should have finished inside the top 10, but unfortunately, it just did not work out for him. He finished in that 26 position after leading a career high of 58 laps and showing complete class um, for the remainder of the race he did in my opinion, caused that big wreck that we had on lap two where there were 16 cars involved. It looked like he was trying to let Mecca McDowell in line. Uh, so he checked up a little bit and it scrunched up the field. And that that's all she wrote. That's what happened there. But towards the end of the race, Gilliland had a tire go down, had to go to pit road to get that fixed up. Of course, that lost him track position. And again, at a time where Todd Gilliland did not finish a race where he deserved because he literally, I, I thought he could have won this race. I felt so bad. I will say though, his car wasn't totally great on the long runs. You kind of saw him starting to lose speed, get a little tight. Uh, so maybe he wouldn't have won the race after all, all things considered. But I really do wish we could have seen that team in the top five or the top 10 at least. Another driver worth mentioning before we kind of go into a little bit of a deep dive story-wise with another driver in the field. Let's talk about Chase Briscoe, because if you were watching this race, you knew that his car had speed. All the Stuart Haas racing cars kind of had speed going into this race. But you also knew if you were watching this race and you were watching that number 14 car, that that car was bound to cause a wreck, and that is exactly what happened. Briscoe kept getting big runs, but he had nowhere to go with them in around lap 240. He was taken three wide, just lost control of the car just because of arrow, I'm assuming, and it spun him around. 
And in my opinion, he had a chance to finish inside the top 10 of this race if he would have been a bit more cautious, a little less aggressive. I really hate it for that 14 team, but it is a positive sign to say like all these Fords had speed this race. There was no Ford that I really felt was totally out of it. And this is especially positive for Stuart Haas Racing, considering as well, we have more super speedways to go this season with Daytona, Talladega, Atlanta starting the playoffs. So a good sign of things to come, hopefully, but a, a chance where Chase Briscoe could have had a decent finish, but just wasn't able to get it done. Speaking of the Fords, Joey Logano, have to talk about this because there are some penalties involved for that 22 team. Joey Logano had to start the race to the rear, was actually able to benefit from that caution on lap two because he went to pit road when the caution happened. So he avoided that wreck completely. And then after serving that penalty, came back onto the track and just kind of went off scotch-free. I mean, it, the, having that penalty was such a benefit to him. It just feels wrong uh, based off of the penalty that he has. He violated section 14.3.1.1 in the NASCAR rulebook, which essentially is just his gloves did not meet SFI specifications. There's two parts to this penalty here. The SFI specifications on the gloves were not clear for Joey Logano. And they did show this on the broadcast. The gloves were also altered. It looks like he added webbing between the pointer finger and the thumb to block part of the wind or the air coming in through the window net to help him get an aerodynamic advantage, which all things considered is actually really, really smart. Uh, but also at the end of the day, it's also breaking the rules. If there are more penalties to come from this, which I am sure there will be, we'll see them towards the middle of the week. Same thing for Stuart Haas Racing. This weekend, the roof rail deflectors of the number 10 and number 40 one were confiscated. NASCAR did not like what they saw with those. So I'm assuming we're going to have some penalties for Stuart Haas racing. Again, very reminiscent of what we've seen the past few seasons. Remember Chase Briscoe last year got the biggest penalty in NASCAR history. You don't want to see Stuart Haas racing kind of picking up where they left off, but we're kind of doing the same thing. And that really just, that sucks. I hate to see it for them. So I would expect a pretty big penalty report coming this week for the NASCAR cup series, but let's get back to Joey Logano. I know I'm all over the place. I mean, that was kind of the theme of this race was just all over the place. The car were all over the place, but with Joey Logano, what really did him in on the last lap of stage two, I think he came up the track to try to block a run coming from Chris Busher. He clearly was not clear and it caused a wreck and it was just over for there for Joey Logano. I told you this race was chaotic. Uh, there were only about five cars that were not, I repeat, not involved in wrecks during the Atlanta event, which is absolutely insane. I don't think I've ever seen such a short list of drivers that weren't involved in an incident during a race. The other issue of the day was handling the broadcasters, the drivers. Kevin Harvick explained it really well on the broadcast, I should I should mention here. But that was such a big issue during this race, especially kind of in turn three. This made for very tricky situations. We saw a lot of drivers get loose and spin, whether they would be single car spins or spins that would take out some of the field. It was just kind of chaotic in the best possible way, but also in the worst possible way for these teams and these drivers. Not to mention the difficulty of pit road under green flag conditions. If you're making green flag pit stops, you have two different speeds you have to manage. Entry to pit road is in turn three. That caused a lot of issues, a lot of speeding penalties. There was actually a wreck between Michael McDowell and William Byron on pit road that was not cautioned at all. Like NASCAR did not throw the yellow, which I'm still kind of confused about, to be quite honest with you, which is another example of why we need more practice. I understand these drivers uh, did pit road practice following qualifying. I get that, but we need like, we need more practice sessions, but that, that's besides the point. I'm not even going to get on a rant about that yet. 
But this race was just such a joy to watch. And for me, when I can get my family involved in watching these races and on the edge of their seats and when my family members have to turn around because they're too nervous to look, that's so fun. Like, that's so fun. I was so engaged with this race. It was tricky. These drivers, you could tell, were really struggling with the handling of their cars, which is just, it, there's such an intensity to that um, watching is just incredible. The talent that these drivers have. The finish of this race also was like the cherry on top of the cake. It, it was just wonderful, exciting, thrilling, fun. Now, is it the best super speedway race I've ever seen? I don't know. I will say Atlanta in the summer was my favorite race all of last year. Like hands down, even though it was rain shortened, it was incredible. So I will say with the Gen 7 car, I do think Atlanta, just based off of my statistics of the race ratings that I keep, have produced the best racing according to me. So I don't know if you agree with that or not, uh, but I'm going to give this race a 99%. Um, I don't know if another race this season is going to top what this did, but it was just so fun. And there was no weather involved. We weren't racing rain, but it was the same type of racing that I think we got intensity wise last summer with the rain. This time it was just straight out, beautiful weather, etc. cetera. Uh, but yeah, 99% above the yellow line. We almost broke the scale with this one. I just feel weird giving it a 100%. Maybe at the end of the year, I'll go back to this one, but my God, just bravo. So good. It was an, it was an incredible race. Do you agree with me though? Let me know in the comments below. And for more NASCAR news, make sure to check out tobychristie.com and abovethealoline.com and follow us on social medias to stay up to date on the latest NASCAR news minute by minute. Tune in this Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for our live stream. We'll have some special guests, so you want to tune in for that. To get updates on when we do go live, though, make sure to click that notification bell and subscribe to this channel. But thank you all so much for supporting this episode of Above the Yellow Line and the ATYL crew and the TobyChristie.com crew. And until next time, I'll see ya. Bye.